verses 16 to 24. And the word of the Lord reads, A little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he says to us, A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, Is this what you're asking yourself? What I mean by saying, a little while and you will not see me, and again, a little while and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament. But the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy might be full. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, when the Apostle Paul, uh, Peter preached during the time of Pentecost, after he was done preaching, Scripture says that the people there were cut to the heart. And they said to each other, what shall we do? Lord, we ask you to cut to our hearts today. And to lead us to ask, what is it that you want us to do, Lord? Also, please help us to acquire a taste for the solid food of your word. And not settle for just milk or candy, but for solid food today, Lord. Because we yearn from it, and we wanted it from you. Please be with Pastor Andrew as he preaches your word to us. May your word and your spirit work life in us and prepare us to do your will. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. I wasn't sure if there'd be six of us here this morning or... It was a you know, difficult decision always to make these things. I realize there's lots of churches closed. We probably could have gone that direction. We certainly weren't trying to go for the Hardy Award. Uh, but uh, it's good to be together with God's people. I got out and scraped, drove around a little bit this morning, 5.30, 6 o'clock. And uh, just grateful for the deacons and others who cleared our walks. And may the Lord bless us, right, as we worship and... As we open his word, I uh, 
this passage is uh, very, you know, we're in the middle of this uh, upper room discourse. And uh, the passage that continues on, continues to deal with his disciples as they are facing an intense time of, of trial, and it's only going to get worse. I was thinking this week, I had the opportunity to uh, sit in with my daughter Gabriella's uh, class, and they were uh, discussing, it was about 10 young people, discussing the, the screw tape letters. Um, some of you are familiar with C.S. Lewis's work, uh, in which uh, Screwtape, who's more of a senior demon, is advising his nephew Wormwood, a younger demon, on the finer points of, of tempting and, and drawing uh, people away from the, the gospel. So it's written from the point of view of, of the tempter. So when they talk about the enemy, they're talking about God. You've got to get your mind around that in, for just a minute. But um, in that, he, he talks about time, and it really is, it really is uh, sort of pertinent to this situation because, you know, the, the question is, how do we experience life? Do we experience it past tense? Do we experience it present tense? Do we experience it uh, future tense? And we had a, a great discussion about that with these sort of 10 young people, just ways that we can go astray in, in any tense. You know, in the past, we can be filled with regret, self-condemnation, all of these types of things. In the present, you can sort of only live for the now. And certainly our culture, ex, uh, you know, pushes us to think about that, what feels good now. Of course, the future tense has its problems, too, if you're filled with anxiety, uh, if you're constantly fretting about what is to come. So how is it that we live? Well, listen to uh, this dialogue between Screwtape and Wormwood. And again, think about it. These are demons tempting. And so when they talk about the enemy, they're talking about God and his desires for us. Humans live in time. But our enemy destines them to live in eternity. He therefore, I believe, wants them to attend chiefly to two things. To eternity itself and to that point of time which they call the present. For the present is the point at which time touches eternity. Of the present moment and of it only, humans have an experience analogous to the experience which our enemy, God, has as reality as a whole. In it alone, freedom and actuality are offered to them. He would therefore have them continually concerned either which eternity, which means being concerned with him, with God, or with the present, either meditating on their eternal union with or separation from himself, from God, or else obeying the present voice of conscience Bearing the present cross, receiving the present grace, and giving thanks for the present pleasure. Our business, the demon's business, is to get them away from the eternal and from the present, at least in their holistic sense. You know, as we come to this passage, you, you really get that sense. Jesus is encouraging his disciples to think about the present and the things that they are going to be soon going through in light of 
those things which they will experience in the future. And so I just want to walk through uh, this passage and see if we cannot draw uh, some encouragement uh, from it as we walk through our present and we think about it. A little while and you will see me no longer. A little while and you will see me. Jesus encourages them to think into the future. And he is mindful of two things. One, things are going to be difficult. But then secondly, things are going to be transformed. So what does he mean then when he says, a little while you will see me, a little while you will not see me, again, a little while you will see me, because I am going to the Father. This is exactly the question that the disciples asked. What does he mean by a little while? Uh, there are two answers to the question, and the first is this. I mean, he is most directly speaking about his resurrection. He's speaking about the fact that though he will die, he will be raised again, and they will actually see him. I actually thought about uh, putting this as not just seeing Jesus, but sensing Jesus. I mean, they, they will see him, they will touch him, they will sit down and they will have a meal with him. Uh, they will experience him in every sense of the word. We're just coming through the, the period of Easter and we remind ourselves that there is the actual reality of the resurrection which is a life-transforming, life-altering truth. Death is not the final victor. Jesus died and, and rose again. He exists. He sits on the right hand of the Father in bodily form. He will come again. Jesus has arisen. And this is so, so crucial for the disciples to recognize. Now, again, Jesus is not unmindful of his death. And he's not unmindful of the sorrow that it will cause. You know, Jesus talks here about the hour. You see that when he says, you know, he uses the illustration of the woman who is in labor and when her hour has come upon her. It's actually kind of a strange uh, way for the, the, the Greek language to speak about the time of birth. There are different words that you could use for that. But if you trace it all throughout the book of John, this use of the word hour, you see that Jesus uses it over and over again to talk about the time of his death. John 2, verse 4, John 5, 25, 28, John 7, 30, John 8, 20, and it, it goes on. Jesus says, my hour has not come, or now my hour is upon me, as he said a number of times here, even in the upper room discourse. And what Jesus is saying very, very, uh, very, very clearly is, look, I know that there are difficult days ahead. I know that in just a few hours, literally, your world is going to be rocked. You are going to experience loss on a, on a, on a magnificent level. But, but. That loss will be transformed when you see me again. Because of the resurrection, 
you know, a whole new meaning is given to life. And this is what the disciples are to hold on to. This is what the disciples are to, uh, to use to, to move forward. And now the question is, you know, is it only his resurrection that he's talked about, talking about here? And, and the answer is no, because Christ's resurrection is the first fruits of what? Of our resurrection, right? And, and so there is the reality here that in talking about his resurrection, he is talking about, you know, the final consummation of all things, the time when the dead in Christ shall rise and they shall meet him in the sky and there will be that second judgment. There's the parousia or Christ's return. Uh, which is in view. So when Jesus says a little while, he speaks to the 12, he speaks to those gathered in the early church and speaks directly of his resurrection, but he speaks to the church universal and says, look it, what you're going through right now is there's a difficulty to it. We're going to get to that in just a minute. There's a difficulty to that, but it's a little while. I mean, it, it, you know, it's a, a, but a light and momentary affliction until I come again and I'm making all things new. And what Jesus is, is reminding us here is the realities that are to come uh, transform the way that we experience life. And, and so I think we always ask ourselves that question, what, what tense are we living in? You know, what, what tense dominates our thought process? Is it the past? Is it the present? Is it the future? Certainly, you know, we are prone to those, those uh, sort of unhelpful ways. You know, past, just thinking about mistakes, thinking about past glory, thinking about all of these things and living in the past, the present, living only for the moment, what feels good, living only for those things that are right in front of us or the future filled with anxiety. Jesus says, look at my death, my resurrection, my coming again, in a little while you shall see me. That is the truth that is to transform, you know, everything that you do. So, I, I wrote to you in the Friday letter this week about the present perfect progressive. I, I don't know if it's the best tense uh, to describe what I'm getting at, uh, but it seemed like it was the best tense, you know. It has these past uh, you know, past implications that are carried out into the present with future promise. And, and it somehow just gathers everything in. Jesus died, rose again, is coming again. And this is the tense, which changes everything. Specifically, Jesus says, it, it gives shape to two specific things. So it shifts the shape. Uh, of two specific things. So we're moving on to the second point now in, in your outline. Uh, the first thing that it gives shape to is sorrow specifically. You, you see that. And again, Jesus goes to this analogy of uh, a woman. Uh, he says, you will be sorrowful, verse 20, but your sorrow will turn to joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy, for the joy that the human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts 
will rejoice, and no one will take the joy from you. Jesus recognizes the sorrow that is inherent in this world. Uh, we, we see that all around. They were going to experience it very intensely with his going away. I mean, think about the type of loss that the disciples experienced. They experienced, you know, the loss of a good friend, right? But it was more than that. I mean, they, they experienced the loss of their future hopes. You know, at least momentarily, they thought they had experienced. Because they had left their jobs. They had left their calling. They were away from their families, itinerating with this guy. They had placed their hope in him. And when he left, they, they lost that. They, they lost identity. You know, who are we? What's our purpose in life? What are we all about? They, they lost reputation. You know, if this guy is killed as a, uh, as a disruptor, you know, like who are we associated with him? And they, they put so much on the line, that loss that was very real. And that is why the, the analogy that Jesus uses is so good. You know, we, we think about a, a woman going in and, and giving birth through modern eyes. And that's hard enough, right? But this was pre-epidural. Uh, this was, you know, before there was medical intervention, if something should go wrong. I mean, you, you very real, every time you gave birth to a child, you, you put your life on the line. And it was only through walking sort of those paths of death that new life entered into the world. And it seems to me that's exactly what Jesus did. You know, as he brought new life into the world, it was through death. And this is why Jesus can say, your sorrow will be transformed. Now, note, the pain doesn't go away, right? You know, there is joy when that baby is there. The pain is not gone. I, I have never given birth, but I've been there while my wife has given birth, and I know that the pain was not gone, and I know that the pain remained in the days that were to follow. But what does Jesus say? Your pain is transformed. I mean, the joy of a human coming into this world has somehow displaced, it has changed the nature of, it has changed the conversation with regard to the pain. And Jesus says, this is what I'm doing. This is, I'm changing the conversation. I'm, shi I'm, I'm shifting the shape of the sorrow that you experience. Now, that's not an easy thing, right? Because oftentimes, again, when we live future tense, sometimes, or I'm sorry, present tense, all we can feel is the sorrow. All we can feel of the, is the loss of what we're going through, what our loved ones are going through. All we can feel is the future anxiety. But Jesus says, look it, you will see me, my resurrection changes it the future reality of my return it changes it something new has been born that doesn't eliminate sorrow pain difficulty but it changes the way that we 
talk about it. The second thing that Jesus says is changed is the way uh, that we pray, the way that we talk to God, the way that we experience Him. It's very interesting that this is here in verses 23 and 24. Uh, in some sense, it's a sidelight. In other senses, uh, it, it makes perfect sense that Jesus would, would deal with this right here. He says, in that day, the day that you see me again, the little while, you will ask, uh, you will ask nothing of me. Now, what does he mean by that? I mean, surely they, the disciples still had questions. Surely the disciples still prayed to him. They laid their supplications before him, right? Uh, so, what does he mean? Well, up until this point, the disciples have been asking these questions that say like, well, what do you mean you're going away? You know, what do you mean a little while? What do you mean you're going to die? And, and what Jesus is saying is, you know, in that day, once you see me, it will be clear. You know, what I have been about, it will be clear uh, you know, the purpose of my life, it will be clear the, the, the humility that I walked with, the death that I suffered, all of these things, they will be clear. And you won't ask those kind of questions of me, but instead, everything that you ask the Father in my name, he will give to you. Now, the, these are difficult verses because I, I think you recognize, and we talked a little bit about this when we were going through 1 John. Uh, you know, they've been so misappropriated. You know, they, the idea that we can just ask for anything, tag the name of Jesus on it, and, and therefore we can have it. We can have health, wealth, peace, prosperity, all of these different things. But it, when we follow the flow of thought, what Jesus is saying, he's saying, look it, this is the path that I am walking. It is a path through death to life. And when you come and ask in my name, recognize at least a couple of things about that. One, you're not going to ask anything that is contrary to my nature, right? I mean, Jesus had all of the riches in heaven. I mean, he was the wealthiest, if we want to put it in those terms. He had the most peace, the most prosperity, the most security. And what was his journey? It was to give it all up. It was to tread, as we've already said, the, the paths of death in order to bring life into the world now, if we bear his image, if we follow in his footsteps, are, are we surprised? Or should we expect anything different in this life? You know, than the fact that we will have travail, we will have difficulty, that we won't experience here and now all of the riches of this world. I mean, that's not what Jesus came to experience. That's not what Jesus came to enjoy. He is bringing us the riches of a world which is to come. 
And at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. And we bring that reality into our experience of this world. Uh, But Jesus will say very clearly, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. So when we pray in Jesus' name, we should expect that our prayers will be of the nature of which Jesus' prayers are. So does that mean that we can't pray for healing, for instance? You know, when we're feeling, you know, when we have been given a diagnosis. No, it doesn't mean that. In fact, we can pray. We read in James 5, you know, if anyone's sick, call the elders of the church, pray. You know, be anointed, pray for healing. But also recognize that the healing that we receive might be the final and eternal healing that is promised us in a little while. You know, that we will still walk through a journey that experiences both death and life, even as we await the entirety of the promise of life. Does that mean we can't pray for a job? When we are out of a job and we're experiencing, of course not. Of course we can pray the Lord (coughs) would provide for our needs. But we pray it in his nature, right? Lord, provide for us our daily bread. You know, daily bread doesn't say anything about 401ks. Uh, Daily bread doesn't say anything about, you know, so we have to think about what it is we pray for and how it is that we manage those things. Again, God provides to us above and beyond what we ask and imagine. So there's nothing wrong with a 401k. But if that's what you're praying for, you know, security in this life, that's a different question. And you see how, you know, the presence of the future changes the way that we think about. The other thing is this, you know, and this goes along with it. Praying in Jesus' name not only, you know, says that we pray in accordance with his nature, but it also says that we pray recognizing that we are totally dependent on him. You know, and, and totally in the train of this one who has loved us, loved us to the very end. You know, I think sometimes our prayers are more about our name than about his. God, I need this. I really desire this. You know, we, we come in our name. God, don't you see what I've done for you? How could you do this to me? And, and when we pray like that, we, you know, sometimes very subtly exalt ourselves rather than praying in the name of the one who has given his very life for us. Now again, does that mean that we can't pray for things? Please don't hear what I'm not saying. Of course we can pray for things. God desires us to pray for things. He is our Father. Which of you who has a father asks for a fish will give him a serpent or asks for a piece of bread will give him a stone? You know, your heavenly Father knows that you need these things and he will care for you. But we have this full-orbed picture, right? Where we pray in the name of Jesus, the one who walked death to life, 
the one who humbled himself for our sake. We pray dependent on him and in accordance with his nature. Now, the last thing that I want you to note here is this. You know, as Jesus encourages us to bring the future reality into the present, you know, to see our sorrow transformed, to see our prayer life transformed, Jesus reminds us that his mission, his mission was to bring joy for his disciples. You know, these disciples, again, they're there in the upper room. There's so much uncertainty on their plate, so much uncertainty, so much loss. But over and over again in this upper room discourse, Jesus says, I go to bring you joy. Look at chapter 15, verse 11. These things, as I open my Bible, these are all on the, the same two pages. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And then over and over again in our passage, you know, you will be sorrowful, verse 20, but your sorrow will turn to joy. Look at the woman for joy that a human being has come into the world, verse 21. Verse 22, no one will take from you your joy. Verse 24, that your joy may be full. And then again in verse 17, or chapter 17, verse 13, uh, but I am coming to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Jesus is always talking about joy. You know, John 10, he says, I have come that they might have life and that they might have it to the full, to, that they might have abundant life. You know, I've got the joy, joy, joy down in my heart springing up this fountain of joy. I've got joy like a fountain springing up to eternal life. That is the Savior's desire. Why? Well, I mean, he tells us in, in Romans chapter 14, what is the kingdom of God? What, what is the kingdom of God? I mean, ontologically, by nature. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and, thank you, joy in the Holy Ghost. Is it, I mean, that is the kingdom. I mean, if you've been adopted by God, if you are a citizen of heaven, if you're a member of his family, you have been invited into joy. And it is Yours, So we don't fret over the past. We don't worry about the future. We don't live only for the moment. We live with the joy that Jesus gives us. And he says a couple of things here. He says, one, you know, it will be forever. Nobody can take it away from them. Do you realize that? You know, in Christ, you have been given joy that heaven or hell can snatch from you. It, it cannot be snatched from you. You know, you have that joy, even in the midst of your circumstances, however dire they may be, you have the resource of joy that no one can ever take away. You know, and part of our challenge is to learn how to tap into that, right? 
you know, learn how to, uh, you know, let that joy, you know, flow out of it. Let that joy color our thinking for the moment. But Jesus says it is secure. No one can take it from them. And then he says, verse 24, this idea that I mentioned earlier is that it's full. What else do you need? If you have Christ and you are living in the reality of his resurrection with the promise of his return, you, you have everything that you need for joy. It, it, it's full, it's complete, it's mature, it's come to its end. It is everything that you need. The world has nothing that it can add to that joy. Satan would only take away your joy. You have everything that you need. R.A. Torrey was a, um, he was a, uh, a, a gospel teacher in around the 1900s. Uh, some of you maybe know the name, have read, he's written a number of books. He lost his 12-year-old daughter. Uh, he and his wife did. She, she died uh, due to a disease, and as you can imagine, it just ripped them apart. And uh, after the funeral, uh, he was walking in downtown Chicago. He actually cites it right on the corner of LaSalle and Chestnut Street. Some of you know the area. And he was overcome at that moment. He says, I could contain my grief no longer. I'm quoting. There was no one on the street, and I cried aloud, Oh, Elizabeth, Elizabeth. And just then, this fountain that I had in my heart broke forth with such power as I think that I had never experienced before. It was the most joyful moment that I had ever known in my life. Oh, how wonderful is the joy of the Holy Spirit. It is an unspeakably glorious thing to have your joy not in things outside of you, not even in your most dearly loved ones, but to have within you a fountain springing up, springing up, springing up, always springing up, 365 days a year, springing up under all circumstances to eternal life. Brothers and sisters, Jesus knows that we are an imperfect community. He knows that we are beset by tenses, past, present, and future. But he says, in a, lot, in a little while, you will see me. And because of those absolute truths, you have a joy that no one can ever snatch from you. And you have a joy that is fulfilled in me. Can you join me in prayer? Lord, we, we strive to experience these truths. Lord, we, we hear them with our minds and our heads, and some of us will go back and we'll look at this passage again, and we'll seek to understand sort of the flow of thought.
But Lord, that's not what we're asking for. Holy Spirit, we're, we're praying that you would teach them to our hearts. And that you would remind us of all of the promises that are yes and amen in Christ. And that that would be the source of all of our joy. That it would color every thought, every action today, tomorrow, throughout all of our lives. Lord, we thank you for walking those paths of, of the dead. We thank you for setting a, a, a vision before us of what our own lo lives look like. We thank you that you are seated on the right hand of the Father, that you hear our prayers, and we bring them to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's respond uh, using the, the song, a song for Rachel. You can see the instructions there. Uh, we'll be joining and singing the chorus throughout. Our song leaders will lead us through the verses. Let's stand together as we sing. And as we practice, you know, if you want to join on any part, please do. Just uh, If you know the song or if you pick it up, please join us.
Beautiful. You may be seated. What a great prayer for us. The Red Fellowship uh, pads are on the end of the row, if you don't mind passing them uh, down the row and back again. It's great to uh, get to know you. It's a good time to highlight the Friday letter as well. We send out a Friday letter each week, so if we don't have your email address and you'd like to receive those, uh, just note those in there. Um, this would be a good one to go back and read. If you didn't read uh, this past Friday's Friday letter, please do so. Uh, there's a number of things coming out of our recent session meeting and just things about church, where we are, journey together, all of those things. There'll be lots of opportunity to continue to dialogue about uh, these things. Uh, one, uh, for instance, is uh, April 25th. Uh, you can note in your bulletin that we will have sort of part of our April showers of praise. Just where is the church? Praise for what God is doing and a uh, chance to talk about some of those things together. That would be on a Wednesday night uh, meal preceding it and then that town hall meeting following that. This week, Wednesday, of course, is uh, a meal as well. Uh, be highlighting in a different way, highlighting and praying for uh, some of the uh, ministries of the church. So come out uh, this week, Wednesday, join us for the meal ahead of time, and then that time of uh, spotlight and praise, uh, prayer, similar to what we did this past week with the mission trip. Uh, new Sunday school classes start today. So we are moving on with those. They are listed for you in your bulletin. Uh, you see them right after the stuff from the service this morning. Uh, Power for Life, a theology workshop on the Holy Spirit. We've been touching in a lot of that uh, in uh, John chapters uh, 13 to 17. Pastor Steve is going to work that out. Sermon response class, keep it going. Uh, Reason for God, Dan Dank. Uh, Thinking through, you know, especially skeptics, how do I talk about uh, my faith? This is a great resource that uh, Tim Keller has put together for us. And then if you are college age, uh, you can join Addison. Uh, that's in the South Annex over here. Um, and, or the South Annex. That's out in the trailers, right? Those are the luxury suites. Uh, so... Uh, that, uh, that's going on there. And then the South Overflow is the first things class. My, I will be leading that along with a, a few other staff. If you're interested in Christ Church, uh, who we are, kind of what makes us tick, mission, vision, values, all of those things, I'd uh, love to have you come and ask some questions about those things, and we'll walk through that in the next six weeks. So those are your Sunday school classes. I think that's everything that I wanted to highlight for you. Please read your bulletins. There's lots of good things in there. Uh, okay, here we are. Have to fellowship together, right, as a body, and we're going to do that out in the wilderness. So on May five, we're going to do uh, another canoe trip. We'd love to have you all come and join us, whether you're three, two, we'll take even younger, but uh, it doesn't matter what age you are. We'd love to have you come out and join us. There's a sign up at the welcome center, or an email did go out to you, and you can sign up that way too. Thanks. And we have good hope that that won't be ice canoeing. Uh, so that's uh, May 5th. Thanks, Scott. I've got that down now. I remember that you were coming to do that. Uh, will you join me in prayer as we bring, get ready to bring ourselves and our offerings before the Lord? Lord, we do bring ourselves before you. 
You've given us uh, your very self. How could we do any less? Uh, It is a great joy uh, to know that we follow in the footsteps of a risen Savior. It's a great joy to know that uh, a little while and and we shall know you face to face and we shall experience uh, all of the goodness uh, that you have uh, promised us, all that you have given yourself to redeem this world and, and to recreate uh, the world that we are to live in. Lord, we pray uh, that you would give us faith, that you would give us sight, that you would give us patience, perseverance uh, with one another, with ourselves, that you would uh, encourage us along the way. Father, we pray for uh, our world. Lord, we recognize that uh, there are tension points even for our country uh, in this world, Syria, other things. Lord, we ask that you would uh, give wisdom to our leaders. We pray that you would uh, give uh, great outpourings of your gospel. We're mindful of the fact that as the church around the world uh, thinks about uh, uh, thinks about, about the kingdom to come and, and preaches the good news of the gospel, that this is the message that will transform lives and countries even more so than political maneuverings. Lord, we pray for our church. We ask that you would uh, bless us, give us wisdom to steward well all of the gifts that you give us. And may we continue to be faithful in in speaking this gospel to ourselves and uh, to this community here in Grand Rapids. Lord, today, uh, on a day that is fraught with inclement weather, we ask for safety. Uh, Thank you for giving us the opportunity to gather this morning, take us home safely, and, and help us to rest in you. And may we truly find our joy in you today and throughout the week. We pray this all in Jesus' name.